Man, I hope we're doing uh, good this morning. Uh, welcome to Hope Church for all you that are new. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, man, I hope you're enjoying this weather. I am excited that it's fall. And I'm extremely thankful that it is Tennessee fall. I grew up uh, just south of Detroit and Michigan and fall uh, for us called for beautiful trees, ugly skies, and nasty rain. So I'm extremely thankful that God has led us here to Knoxville. It's been uh, an awesome season so far. Uh, a little bit more about us is we've got uh, three boys, my wife and I. She does most of the work. I just kind of hang out with them. But uh, we, we love to host at our house. Like We love to have parties, bonfires, um, birthday parties, all the above. We love having people over. And a couple weeks ago, we were having uh, a birthday party for our friend Molly, who's not here right now, but uh, it somehow turned into all of the adults sitting in a circle at the end of the night, watching my two oldest boys throw down MMA style. Like crazy. Like it got to the point where like people were making side bets, second round knockouts, they were putting money down. And uh, I had some insider information because you would think Huxley being bigger would have the upper hand, but what, what I knew is that Finn is our scrapper and Finn can get in there and get dirty. So I put 20 bucks on him coming out in a tie at the end. And in the third round, I jumped in, broke him up after Sam had lost his last $20, which Sam's not here, so I can't make fun of him right now. But man, it turned out to be an awesome night. And, and those are just the moments we love. Like that's something that we live for. But as far as like a, a Royal Rumble, the story we're going to dive into today is one that I've actually never really heard somebody in person preach on. So it was very interesting to me to try and dive in and study and figure out, okay, how, how can I come around this? And a crazy aspect of the story is there's a moment where seven dudes get beaten up by one guy. And I was like, okay, I've seen something crazy like that before. And not only that, uh, th- there comes a question that we're going to focus on a little bit from a demon-possessed man that I think some of the times we, we probably find ourselves asking the same question of, who are you? There's probably times throughout life where we have found ourselves staring in a mirror, asking ourselves, man, who, who are you? We've probably found ourselves in moments of anxiety or depression, thinking, man, who am I? And, and much of our life is spent searching for who am I? A lot of times we make decisions based on trying to figure out who we are and what we're meant to do in this life that can lead us down some bad paths, some good paths. But most of our life is spent trying to figure out who we are. So before we can get into this royal rumble that is about to happen in the story, we need a little bit of uh, context to the situation, a little bit of backstory. So over the last uh, couple of months now, we've been walking through the book of Acts and talking about the early church and talking about Paul's uh, uh, conversion from non-believer, killer, crazy dude to somebody who believes in Jesus and is now preaching and taking the gospel or the good news of Jesus to the entire area that they are surrounded by. And at this moment, he's in a city called Ephesus. Uh, and, and Ephesus was a, a city that was best known for worshiping crazy gold statues, idols, temples, and, and were really, really into magic. Now, not like sleight of hand magic, but like full on like spiritual realm trying to control 
uh, uh, good and evil, demons, all this different kind of, like this kind of really dark, crazy magic. So they had proper belief that there was a spiritual realm. They just weren't doing things properly. They were believing and worshiping what we would call as false gods or scripture would call false uh, uh, gods. And what they were, again, best known for was this giant temple. One of the biggest temples in the land that was dedicated to a God that would hopefully bless their area. And they would pray and worship to this God. They would uh, uh, walk around and, and do all these different spells and, and cast spell. Like I picture it kind of like just a weird witch movie. That's all I can think of when I picture this. And, and they were really, really into this. It was ingrained in their culture. It wasn't like some weird taboo like we would see today, but this was something that was like deeply rooted, just like the Texas flag is the Texan. Like this was their culture. This was their life. And so Paul seeing the, the, the crazy need for Jesus, the crazy need for salvation in this area and how much he needed to go and preach. So he goes there and he starts preaching in the synagogues, which is kind of like their churches at that time. So he spends a couple of months preaching in there and many come to believe in Jesus. But some of them were stubborn in their ways. So Paul then left because he outgrew the synagogue and began preaching in a hall owned by a man named Tyrannus. Nothing like a dinosaur, just some random guy named Tyrannus. Until everybody in the area had a chance to hear the message of Jesus. And this is where we're going to pick up this morning in Acts 19, 11 through 20. I'm going to start off with prayer as we get to that scripture. God, I thank you so much for... I'm going to start off this beautiful weather. For us to be able to be here, be able to... Uh, living in a country, an area that allows us to have... Uh, a religious freedom, the ability to just seek you out and hear from you. God, I pray that uh, that you work through the scripture, Lord, that you speak through me. And Lord, I pray that you work in my heart as well as everybody else is here, that we can see uh, who we truly are and how much your love is for us. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So picking up in Acts 19, 11 through 20, we're going to discuss a story about a couple of guys named in the Bible, the sons of Sceva. Verse 11 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, and so that even his handkerchief or apron, anything that touched his skin was carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because I think there's some extremely important information here. And if you've been around Hope Church for any amount of time, uh, we pride ourselves on fully believing that we're not living on our own power. That God is moving through us, that we believe the Holy Spirit lives within us. And already in the very first verse of this portion of Scripture, we're seeing that this is not necessarily anything that Paul is doing, but it is God working through Paul. That it is the power of God that lives within us, that lives within Paul, that is doing the miracles and that is being revealed to him. It's not necessarily Paul himself that's doing it, but it's him saying, yes, I will follow you and God working through that. Paul is submitting himself to following the call that God has placed on his life. And because of that, he's been an open vessel, that he's been allowing God to move. And these men that we're going to read about, we're going to see that they have no idea what they're doing. We're going to see that they don't have a proper understanding of this portion of Scripture. Because of what they're going to do, it's going to turn into mass chaos. Picking up in verse 13. 
says, and some of the iterate Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name Jesus, who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So there were seven brothers that were magicians, that were people who had set out to do these exorcisms, real or fake, whatever it was. They were trying to turn a prophet. And to me, the name Sceva just sounds like some slimy people already. Like, I feel like these are the people that are out trying to make a buck selling snake oils, trying to make a buck selling anything to get you to buy in. For me, it's like all these diet fads on Facebook that are blowing you up, trying to get you in to buy all this stuff that may or may not work. But they're people trying to turn a profit. They're trying to turn exorcisms into a business. Whether it's real or fake or what they're doing. But again, in this culture, there was a lot of very powerful words and terms and things that were written in books that magicians would use or people that were into magic would use in these moments in hopes to be able to control the spiritual realm. And these, these, these seven brothers, seeing what Paul was doing, seeing the miracles that were happening at Paul's hand or his outfit or his handkerchief or his sweaty rag that he had used, they'd seen the miracles that were happening and they just thought, man, he, he's, he's saying this name Jesus. Maybe if, if we do that, we can do something crazy. We, we can make some money here. Now, just picture the seven brothers. There are a couple of them getting together and just scheming and coming up with ideas. Okay, how did he say Jesus? Did he say it this way? Did he say it that? What way is it going to get us the most money out of this? How are we going to be able to turn the biggest profit? How are we going to be able to change our lives by just throwing this name around? And they sat around and watched Paul, but they never got to know what Paul was actually doing. See, and here was their biggest mistake is they were out to do something for profit. And when they came across a man with an evil spirit, they were in for a rude awakening because they tried this technique. They said, by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. And then we start back into verse 15. It says, but the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man whom the evil spirit had leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, and they fled out of the house naked. Now, if you've heard me preach at all, I I love to picture scripture as if it's a movie. I feel like that's the easiest way for me to kind of comprehend, see things happen, is I I try to replay it in my mind like a scene from a movie. So this kind of takes me back to when I was in high school. I was really into skateboarding for a little bit, and I used to watch this guy, Mike Vallely, who was just a giant tough dude and a really good skateboarder and there's this video that surfaces on youtube where he's walking out of a 7-eleven some guy starts yelling stuff out of the back of a jeep at him and and he doesn't he doesn't like that so these guys get out of the back of the jeep and mike being a big hockey player dude also professional skateboarder walks over starts talking to him one guy pushes him this video shows mike rip his shirt off and then beat the heck out of four guys who then jump back in the car and hurry up and get out of there so I'm like, this, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's like, okay, there's seven guys in a house trying to perform an exorcism, which then takes me back to all the movies that I've seen where there's usually an exorcism and this 
uh, I forget the movie, like Poltergeist or something like that, where this chick is laying in a bed, the priest comes in, she starts throwing up all over the place, starts going crazy. I'm like, dude, this is a crazy scene. They're saying all this stuff in Jesus' name, and this girl or guy looks up at them and is like, I, I don't know who you are. Man, that would freak me out. And then on top of that, steps up and beats the heck out of seven people. And I'm like trying to think, okay, was it like one-on-one, -on -one, seven different times? Did this guy go crazy and then beat all of them at the same time? And then not to mention, somehow their clothes get ripped off and then they've got to run out naked. And then the next portion of scripture walks in the scene, says that everybody in the city found out about this. Man, I feel like that's a tough look, right? That's, that's, that's pretty messed up. See, where a, a big issue was that these brothers were setting out to do something with the name of Jesus, but had no idea who Jesus actually was. See, they saw what was going on in Paul's life. They saw the miracles that Paul was able to perform, but they never understood that it wasn't Paul doing it. It was God working through Paul. See, they wanted to use Jesus' name, but they never wanted to get to know and understand who Jesus was. And if we can be honest, isn't this something that we see people doing pretty often? Maybe there's times in our life where we, we fall into the same realm where maybe we find ourselves praying for selfish gain and, and, and God, why can't you just give me this? Why can't you just take this away? Why can't you just make life better for me? We pray for selfish gain or we see others uh, uh, abusing the name Jesus. We see politicians do this all the time. We see businesses do this all the time where they put this ugly black eye on the gospel, on the church, on Jesus himself. Because they want to use the name Jesus, but they don't want to get to know who he is. They don't want to spend time seeking out who Jesus is and who he could be for them. They don't want to involve their faith. They just want to get whatever they can out of the power in the name Jesus. See, if they really truly knew who he was, they could have performed the miracle. If they would have spent time actually listening to Paul and what, was he, what he was doing, what he was preaching, things would have turned out a lot different, but instead they just wanted to use Jesus' name for selfish gain. So the sons of Sceva are beaten, stripped naked. They take off out of the house as the first known streakers written down. Let me pick up back in verse 17. It says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And again, that's got to be embarrassing. Not only does the whole town know that you got beat up, but you had to run home naked. Well, that's not necessarily the point. The point is that they all began to fear. See, the verse says, they feel, uh, fear fell upon all of them and that the name of Jesus was extolled or, or praised or worshipped. And also many who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices or leaving their old practices behind. And a number of those who practiced the arts had brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all the sea. See, to me, this action that, that takes place is extremely beautiful because it's not necessarily just people saying, yeah, I'll, I'll follow Jesus, I'll, I'll believe in them. They're not just saying these things, but they're showing it. So again, this culture is one that is grown up, raised on this whole mysticism, this magic, this evil, dark worship. 
And so for them to come in and not only take what to them was like a Bible, but completely change their lives by throwing it in the fire. Not just in secret, but confessing this to everybody in the entire town. Side note is it's pretty crazy that these guys tried to abuse Jesus' name. And God's able to work through that to change the entire hearts of the entire city. They messed up, but God was still able to use them to do a miracle. See, and to me, this is so beautiful again because they're not just saying they're going to do something. They're not just saying they want to follow Jesus. They're not just saying they want to know and understand, but they are completely showing it. They're taking the time to get to know who Jesus is. They're taking the time to truly seek out what it truly means to follow Jesus. They're turning from their old life and walking in what we would say is new life. They're believing in the power and the name of Jesus. The verse finishes out, it says, And they counted the value of all of the books and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now just kind of in perspective, 50,000 pieces of silver without inflation would be somewhere around $1.5 to $3 million today. With inflation, that's going to be north of $500 million or more. So like these books were extremely valued, were worth a lot of money, and they were saying, no, following Jesus means far more to me than selling these books than anything else that I can do with this book to, to living in this magic realm, to continuing in evil spirits. I'm going to throw it in the fire. They turned from their old life and began to walk in a new way. See, there's, there's power in Jesus. There's power in Jesus that is, that is overcoming that, that, that there's not just power in Jesus, but there's power in Jesus' name. See, Jesus isn't looking for people to just say, yeah, I, I want this get out of hell free card. And unfortunately, we find this happening so often in Christianity where it's, yeah, I, I'm afraid of hell. I don't want to go there. I'll, I'll believe this name. But Jesus is saying, no, I, I want you to follow me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how powerful and mighty I am. See, and when used and believed incorrectly, there's power within us to overcome all things, Scripture says. And he wants you to know who you truly are. Coming back to this question, the very first thing that that demon says to the guys is, I, I don't know who you are. See, I think we can find ourselves in a lot of trouble when we're oftentimes seeking, who are we? And it can lead us down a path of anxiety and depression and, and, and doing things we don't want necessarily to be doing and getting ourselves in situations we never wanted to be in. I can think back to, to my high school years and even into college of so many different times where like I, I seen myself trying to do whatever I could to become somebody but having no idea who I truly was. See, and these seven brothers had no idea who they were. And the demon knew that. It's like, you guys have no idea who Jesus is. You don't know who you are in this life. You've got no power over me. And then he beats the heck out of all seven of them. 
again, strips them naked, makes them run home. See, and the difference is that Paul knew who he was. Paul was able to perform all of these miracles, do all this crazy stuff by the, the power that God had invested in him. Because Paul knew who he was, he knew who he was in Christ. His entire life looked different compared to these seven brothers. These seven brothers were lost, having no idea who they were, having no idea who Jesus was, and if they would have just sat down and listened to what Paul was actually saying instead of watching what he was doing, their lives could look a lot different. See, again, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in Jesus, and he wants you to know who you are. See, whether or not you're a believer or, or walking down this path and just trying to figure out where you are in life, there's a God that is all-powerful, that loves you, and that has sent his son. Historically backed up outside of scripture, there was a man named Jesus who died on a cross and then magically disappeared three days later. Not only in the Bible, but in other historical books is written about. See, he is saying, listen, I'm all powerful and I want you to know who you are based on my love for you. And when you find who you are in Christ, your life drastically looks different. Because you no longer have to search who you are, but you could be confident in who you are. That Jesus is wanting to change you from the inside out to walk and follow in faith and faith in Christ. And you don't have to change who you are to come to know Christ. That's another thing I hear a lot of churches talk about or a lot of people talk about is like, I can't go into that church. I'm going to burn up if I walk in the front doors. I'm going to do all these different things. Every time I go in there, people judge me. And, and, and honestly, shame on those churches for that and for you feeling that way because that should never happen. But you should be going in feeling welcomed and loved because I fully believe based specifically on pictures of Jesus, we see in scripture that he would first love you. Not a single time does he call somebody out because of their sin unless they were an already religious person who was running down a wrong path, trying to put their opinions and desires on people's lives. But he first comes in love and he's, he's wanting to show you who you are and who you are is somebody that God loves so much that he sent Jesus to die to overcome your sin for you. And when you become to see, you, you come to see who you are in Christ, we understand that there's a power that comes with that. Specifically from the story, we can see a power working and moving through Paul that is healing lame people, that is healing deaf people, that is healing sick people, diseased people, evil, wicked people are being changed. Demons are being cast out because Paul knew who he was in Christ and it was Christ moving through him. I think one of the number one things that our society kind of deals with right now is anxiety and depression. And over the last two years, I've been doing uh, walking through a film with uh, a couple of friends of mine. And it's all based on anxiety and depression. And before I started doing all this stuff, like I thought, like, I've never been affected by any of that. I don't know what depression is. And after hearing all of these stories, you start to realize, like, this stuff looks very different in a lot of ways. And it could lead back to you staring in a mirror, asking yourself, man, who am I? It can lead us down a dark path of trying to figure out, man, am I even worth anything? 
when I look in the mirror and I don't see anybody there, how can anybody else? See, when we begin to chase and try and search and seek and figure out who God is, He says He'll reveal Himself to you. He'll show you. He'll answer your questions. And He wants you to know that you are loved. That you are a human loved despite who you are. And He wants you to see who you could be and who you are in Christ, founded in Jesus. Truly getting to know Him, following Him, trying to figure out what this looks like in life. I think oftentimes when we start following Jesus, we believe that life gets easier. We believe that it's going to be prosperous. And we, we tweak and use the name of Jesus because we know that if we say this thing, if we do the right thing, maybe we'll end up rich, happy, and living happily ever after. But in reality, it's so much different than that. And Jesus wants to hold our hand, walk with us through the trenches and through the hard moments. And again, establishing a foundation built on Him. So the final question is, man, who are you? And I hope we can go home today thinking about this question. Seeking out God or maybe reestablishing that foundation or just continuing to pursue getting to know who Jesus is. Jesus, I pray that you, man, just work in us, Father. I pray even in my life, Lord, that every day can look brand new, that, Father, I can rest in your power, that I can rest in your strength, Lord, and that I know when it's misused or abused, disaster happens. Chaos ensues. And bad things always go downhill father i pray that we can move in a way that is open honest and embraces reality father i pray that you can move in us in a, in a very real way that's not just based on story or for folklore or opinions or human rules or laws that have been put in place but father that is truly believing, understanding, and following you and loving people the way that we see you love people. Father, I pray you give us strength throughout this week to, to find and build upon that foundation. Father, truly knowing and figuring out who we are and that you desire to love and embrace us. Father, I pray that you continue to move within our church and that we could be a body that moves within the city that is spreading the message of love and hope within you. And God, that you just move in a big way. We ask these things in Jesus' name.